0: Hello and welcome to More Games Than Time I'm Lee I'm Roger And we still have More Games Than Time Though it's been a pretty hectic game playing last week (laughs) It always is before recording this (laughs) Not not that I want to pretend I'm I'm cramming for games to get them on here or anything
1: Uh, So in a bit we'll be talking uh, with with a couple of uh, publishers, retailers who who are at Essen this year But uh, first let's get on with what we've played I've been playing a game. I should have been playing 18 months ago. D-Day Dice Second Edition.
0: Uh, I, you, you got that on Kickstarter, didn't you? I think I remember.
1: Yeah. So I, yeah. I, the Kickstarter was in November 2017, and yep. it was originally going to arrive in August 2018, and then various things happened. Mm-hmm. E- even more than usual Kickstarter. I mean, the the company is no more, and I gather one of, one of the. Um, People involved is contemplating suing one of the others. So it, it was not a fun time for anybody. Happy stories all around then. But in March 2020, no. the, the, this great big box of stuff finally arrived. And then I completely ignored it. I no idea why. I mean, you know, the pandemic and lockdown and stuff was just and, starting. And
0: swiftly, yeah. So it began collecting dust on your shelf. And. So I thought this is, this is a good excuse. I will give it a try. It, it is,
1: although it's theoretically a multiplayer game. It it is essentially, you, yeah, you're all you're all collaborating, but you're basically doing the same thing. And yeah, there isn't any hidden information. And if, if you want to say you play just play it pure solo, there's absolutely nothing that you lose by doing that. Mm-hmm. And
0: I think people have been playing it solo for a long time, haven't they?
1: Yeah. And if you were to tell me it's a World War Two themed Yahtzee game, I couldn't say you're entirely wrong there. Uh, all the results are useful <laughs> in some way, um, but you know you you, you fool how, how to summarise it. Basically, you are a you, you are a unit going up one of the beaches on D-Day. Um, right. You meet various hazards as you go along. Uh, some some of these yeah you need a certain amount of courage just to keep going uh you need a certain amount of men just to um fight fight and overcome the various hazards uh you can get benefits from getting equipment or specialists with particular skills so for example there's there's one guy who um whenever you take damage you take one point fewer because he's, he's if the sergeant is telling people how to get to cover and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it, it's moderately thematic, but the, the, the mechanisms are pretty simple. So
0: it's kind of obvious how they're working. Okay. And, and how, how does that, me- I'm trying to think of the, the representations in the game. Is it sort of one dice per person or, uh, one no, dive, you uh, a piece of equipment or what was going on?
1: You have a die for your unit moving across the map
0: uh which is you mm-hmm. it's not
1: used but it's u- not rolled but it's used as a record keeping uh device so you can't stay in the same square for more than three turns so you have one mm-hmm. two and three chevron sides on the die to say yeah when you get to the three you have to move next time round uh wow. and it's got some other sides for special cases like um you have to move this turn because it's one of those especially hazardous areas that kind of thing mm-hmm. um you have a six, I think, dial uh, tracker for n- right. number of men, amount of courage, uh, number of specialist points, number of equipment points, mm-hmm. and th- these will go up as you roll stuff on the dice, and then then you s- you spend the various resources on various things. For example, you spend two courage to cross from uh, the initial ocean square to to the beach, the initial beach line. Right. Um, you You spend uh, let's see I've forgotten the actual term, but it's basically resources to to get new specialists and a different resource to get more equipment, and those are represented by cards whereas the the actual number of men is just a counter on the unit i right. I've gotta admit that that is a bit of a thematic disconnect for me because you you you're running up this beach. why are you getting more men recruited as you go along? Is it, you know, other units that got shot up and are joining you because you seem to be successful? Maybe, but the rules don't say that. You're just, you're just getting more men. <laughs> so it's, it's a little weird. In terms of gameplay, you've got six dice, uh, two red, two white, two blue. Um, they are custom dice, but obviously you could do it with a table if you wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. You roll all six. You must lock two after the first roll. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you get, as in many of these games, two more re-rolls of however many you like. And whatever you've got left at the end of that is the set you're going to work with. Um, so, you know, what you can get one or two men on a die or a plus one morale or plus one specialist point or plus one item point. And, and a skull is the sixth face and that will cancel one other die unless right. you've got something that helps you overcome that. There, there's also a special bonus for uh, guessing matching um, the same symbol on a red die, a white die and a blue die which in my test games I have not seen happen. So uh, I, I haven't worked out the odds yet, but it's clearly not a common event. Uh, also, if you get a full set of you know, one of each face, you, you, get, you get a special bonus, but again, haven't seen that. But basically, that, that is the cool gameplay, and, and I rather enjoyed it. Um, even looked at in terms of game mechanics, while they're not super complicated, they, there are interesting decisions. The main decision you're making is, uh, do you stay in this square because the, the intensity of the opposition will increase as, as you advance up the beach? Uh, right. so do you, do you stay here where it's relatively safe? Um, and you can quite easily recruit enough men to keep ahead of the, um, damage you'll be taking or do you push further on because you're going to have to go there eventually? Do you mm-hmm. have enough resources to do that yet or do you want to hang around here another turn? And, and of course the other side is the, 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 uh, Yahtzee-ish gameplay of which dice am I actually going to keep? Given those compulsory initial two locks, which other dice am I going to go for? Am I going to try for a set of three? Am I going to go for this resource over that resource? That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, not not a master of strategic complexity, but um, enough interesting decisions that that I certainly didn't get bored. There is the problem, of course, because. Um, I say, I, I pledged for this in, in November 2017, and I, I didn't understand Kickstarters then as well as I do now, so I've got, you know, five boxes full of content for this thing. I mean, fortunately, they're I, not, I mean, you they're know, not uh, plastic uh, minis, but...
0: Someone far more uncharitable than I am m- might suggest that you've got far more railroad ink than you need as well. But, 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 <laughs> but
1: it's in the, it's, it's all in the one box. So, <laughs> so it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I am a completionist by instinct, and people designing Kickstarters are aware that there are gamers who are completionists by instinct. And, and, and I'm not used EDK. to stuff. I'm not used to stuff being aimed at me. Okay. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I, I'm looking at these boxes and thinking, all right, that's an awful lot of variation, which is good. Yeah, yeah. It's an awful lot of variation on the same basic gameplay model. Am I mm-hmm. going to get bored with the basic gameplay model before I run through all the variation? I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of it. I'm not getting bored yet, but you know, it's, it's going to be 50, 100, 200 games. I don't know before I've run it, before I've run through every option. So <laughs> <laughs> you've
0: got a lot to explore
1: is the, uh, is, is the thing. Yeah. There. And all I can really say is uh, so far I'm enjoying it.
0: Good. That's, uh, yeah, that's good to hear. So, I've been playing a game we mentioned, I think, in our very first podcast, mm-hmm. when we were discussing another game which is related to it. And that game was Hokkaido, and the game I've been playing is Honshu.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, this is a trick-taking tile placement game. Um, I've been playing with the unofficial... Solo Rules, which are by Dajun King on Board Game Geek. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe he actually has two solo variants, a beat-your-own-score variant and an Ultima variant. Um, I can't remember if I've tried the Ultima variant. Uh, If if I have, I I don't play as anymore. I've stuck with the beat-your-own-score variant, um, which I think works better for, for my likes and dislikes in board games. I've come to learn.
1: Yeah, I, I know people who feel very strongly that if a thing is only beat your own score, they won't
0: play it. But you know. It's it, it something that I've seen repeated on, on the interwebs, um, more or less ever since I started playing solo games, that you know, beat your own score is terrible, I, w- I want to be playing against an opponent. What I've come to realise is I prefer, as a solo game, to be playing against the game. Mm. And an Automa is not playing against the game. A beat your own score game is closer to that, and if it provides in the rule book seventy is a good score, then I know whether or not I've done well. It's not yeah. a question of always scoring better than my last game; it's it's just a good game or a bad game. Sure. Which I think is the same as when you're playing against somebody else. You could you know, beat them or narrowly lose to them. It's it's different to coming yeah you know, fifty points behind them in a in a thirty point game. Sure. Um anyway, it's uh, it's it's you know, if it's a fairly quick game, it's a fairly light game. Um it has a the card weaving, I think it's called, mechanism um that's present in Hokkaido, as we discussed before, also in Sprawlopolis where you when you place cards, they I think unlike Sprawlopolis actually, it has to overlap an existing card. Um, right. So I'm pretty sure Hokkaido be... certainly have that. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing. I think Spoolopolis you can place adjacent, but Hokkaido, Honshu, you have to overlap. And that can either be placing it over or it can can be under pre-existing cards. Mm -hmm. Um, The only sort of rule as to how you place them on top of that is that if your card has... Each card's got six territory squares on it. Um, If one of those squares is a lake, then you can't cover that up either with a new card or, you know, you can't shove it under something else when you're placing it to begin with. Right. Um, it lasts for 12 rounds. You're, you're building up over 12 different cards you're placing. Um, at the end of that, your score, there's four different ways that it scores in, in every game plus one randomly drawn um scoring goal, which varies game to game from, I think, Nine or twelve different scoring cards you can draw. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I presume you're aware of this at the start of the game. You are. You draw that at the start of the game, so it's your. You know, it's providing a a little bit of variation game to game in terms of you know what you're aiming for as you're you're building Mm -hmm. it up. Um, The way a general turn works, you have a hand of six cards. Um, Multiplayer game. I haven't played it multiplayer, but it's a a trick-taking game, so you select a hand to play from your. From your, a card to play from your hand, they have a number on them, highest number gets to choose which card they place into their, um, tableau or into their map. Right. So it, you, you've, <laughs> you've All got right. that thing there. Of, do I play this card that, you know, I, I really want to place into my, into my map when they might get a, you know, that it might also be a benefit to them mm-hmm. and they play a higher card than them when they get to choose the card that I've selected.
1: Right, so only one player in the multiplayer game, only one player will place a card.
0: Everybody will place the card, but you, you will choose which card from amongst all the ones that have been selected that round if you've won the trick. Okay. Yeah.
1: So we're, we're, sorry, we're all playing, all placing the same
0: card or, you know, winner chooses first. We're all placing different cards into different little maps that you're building up. Okay. Okay.
1: But, but if, you, um, if, you, if you play a really nice card and you lose the trick, then somebody else might, then the winner might choose that to place instead
0: of the card they exactly, played. Exactly, and then Got you're it. stuck Got choosing it. from one of the others. Got it. Um, the solo variant that I've been playing tries to replicate this by, again, you have a hand of six cards. So you choose a card from your hand to play. You then turn over the top card from the deck. If the number is higher than your card, then you lose both of them and you turn over another card from the deck, and that's the one you place. Mm-hmm. If your card is the higher number, then you can choose either the card you selected or the other one. Yeah, so that seems it's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that, you know that must be losing something from a multiplayer game where you'd be trying to guess what's in the other player's hand. Oh, they've already played their high card this round. The chance of them having two, three high cards. Yeah, you know, that, that that those sort of mind games would come into it. So You're losing that. Um but other than that it seems like a fairly fair representation, I think, to me of how the game works.
1: Given um, that you don't want a whole, you know, cardboard AI sort of situation and as a player you do, you don't want to know what the enemy's gonna come up with anyway.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah it, seems, exactly. it seems like a, a, a nice lightweight compromise.
0: Yeah. Um after you've played three cards from your hand, um I think in the solo game or oh, sorry, I think in the multiplayer game perhaps you pass three cards to another player. So you would then have knowledge of what those cards are. In the solo mm-hmm. game, um, you discard the remaining three cards and draw another three cards. So, so you then you, you
1: effectively have an infinite pool of other player cards. Well, that you're
0: exchanging. So, to, so yeah. your, your first your first three cards from your hand of six, you're choosing, or your first three cards, you're, you're choosing from a hand of six. Yeah. Your next three cards, you have to play those three cards. It's just what order you choose to play them in which. When you're playing against the deck, effectively, is meaningless.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, but it's you know it's trying to replicate that hand off the new new three cards arriving into your hand at that point in the multiplayer game. Sure. Um, once you've played out those three, you then repeat the process: new hand of six cards, and that brings you to your twelve rounds.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it sounds if like the the card laying side of
1: things is quite similar to the uh, later. Hokkaido but the, the how you decide which card gets placed is, is the is the major difference
0: yeah um it's lacking um I don't know if you remember Hokkaido um there was the the mountain range mm-hmm. so that placed another restriction um this is a bit more free with how you can place things because there's no mountains it's only the lakes you have to worry about okay um yeah, that, that's basically it. The, the, the core difference is that it's um, you know Honshu is a trick-taking game, Hokkaido is a drafting game. That, that's the, the core difference. Them. I do think Hokkaido is a little more complex. Um, mm-hmm. Those mountains do, as say that they they make it more restrictive as to where you can place things, and the scoring is a, a little bit more complex as well. Honshu is is a more forgiving game. I think mm-hmm. um, it's slightly easier to get into. But both both very good games. Uh, um, so it's, meant, it's meant, meant to be. Mariola. Thank you. Yes, you, I seem to remember before you did a much better job at pronouncing the the designer's name than I did. It's meant to be part of a trilogy, is what I was going to say. Then, mm-hmm. um, I think Honshu was 2016. Hokkaido was 2018. As of yet, I don't think there's been any announcement as to when the third game is coming out and what it's called or what the core mechanism is or anything else. So we wait and see.
1: Right. Yeah, he he does have another game um, published, but it's councils and contracts from uh, 2013. So yeah, actually, a game with with a certain similarity of mechanic, uh, baseball highlights 2045, uh, which I know you've played before because I played it with you. I, I have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it wasn't a dream. <laughs> um,
1: and the, the, although it's designed primarily for two to four players, uh, there, there mm-hmm. is a solo mode in, in the main rulebook. And mm-hmm. in effect, rather than playing against somebody somebody else's starter deck, which gets upgraded, you are playing against a completely random but fully upgraded deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, I should say I'm, I'm not at all a sports fan. Uh, indeed, I, ha- I had to find out how baseball worked in order to understand some of the terms of the rule book. Uh, but essentially, th- this is a highlights. It, it's not supposed to be a ball by ball implementation. Uh, so you, you have a zigzag turn structure in in the actual gameplay. So I put down a card, which might be an immediate action. Some, some special bonus to me. The play then goes over to you and if you had any previous threatened hits that I, that my immediate action hasn't countered, then you, then you get to move your base runners.
2: Mm.
1: Then we come back to me and I threaten some new hits with the stuff at the bottom of my card. And then, then the play moves to you and then you, you play a card, try to cancel my hits. Any hits you didn't cancel, I move. Then the bottom of your card generates new hits for you. No. Which is a little tricky to get one's head round and I if I'm honest, I'm I'm probably a bad solo gamer for saying this. I do sometimes <laughs> find it hard to keep track of exactly where in that six phase structure I've got to when it's only me keeping yeah. keeping track of everything.
0: Um I mean there are ways around that, but they just add fiddliness.
1: Yeah. Uh that that is um in rules terms the, the mini game. Um it's normally six, six cards from each side. If you are tied at the end of six cards, th- then you continue to play in, in blocks of three cards until somebody's winning. Right. Um, between those come the deck building rounds. Mm-hmm. And each card you play has a revenue value, which is basically how enthusiastic the fans are about seeing them. Right. She's not well correlated with how good a card they are. So particularly some, some, some of your, uh, naturals, they the, the, yeah, this is, this is happening in 2045. So we have robot players and stuff. Um, but some, some of your natural humans are crowd pleasers much more mm-hmm. than the more competent robots are who, who are, who may be great, but aren't, aren't that exciting to watch. Uh, but based on the players you actually had in your last game, uh, you have a re- revenue value, which you can then use to buy cards from the market. Right. Uh, which is normally in, in the, in the rules, it's seven cards, but if, if they say with, with the expansions, you should probably go for a market of 10 because there's just t- too much chance of too many of the same thing coming up. Um, so a, a full game of this is typically something like, um, three initial buying rounds so you can get some early upgrades uh Seven actual tournament games with uh, with a, with a bye round after each, Uh and then whoever's yeah, who, who won, whoever's first to win four games out of that series is the overall winner. Mm. And you can do it with you can do tournaments with it. Um, the the example they give is the four player tournament, which you, which you can do with basically just the stuff in the box. You get four starter teams. So each player plays a three-round set against each other player. So they've, each player has played nine games total right. with the consequent upgrades. And then, then you go on from there to, to uh, semi-finals and finals. And if you've got more copies of the game, uh, or you can actually buy extra starter teams, though I, I haven't got into that because... But but yeah, my budget and space are limited. Uh but but you could in theory play um larger tournaments or or just with multiple copies of the game. It is an Eagle Griffin publication, so it's, it the quality is pretty good, but it's a little it, it always they always feel it's ex- on the expensive side for what you get, mm. combination of production and shipping costs. Um I I've, I've played a four player tournament, it was great fun. I would love to play in a bigger one, but I don't I don't know if there are enough people in the UK playing the game for that to happen. There are expansions with basically more player cards. That's what most of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also coaches, uh, who, who can boost particular cards. Uh, there, there are playing on your home field can give you a particular power up, that kind of thing. Right. But mostly it is the, these core three types of cards, the, the naturals, yeah. uh, who, who tend to be good fielders, the cyborgs who tend to be good pitchers and the robots who tend to be good batters. It's odd it shouldn't really appeal because, you know, I, I know people who are sports fans and I, I just don't have whatever it is that causes that to happen in people. Possibly because I'm not really seeing it as a sport and it's not a faithful simulation of baseball. Um, but it is, I mean, it is an enjoyable game
0: just in its own right. I think there is, there is that in it. I know, um, you know, you said we played it before and you may remember me frowning. Throughout most of the game, um, I found it really quite obtuse mm. um, to understand what was going on. Um, I, I think is... it
1: may need a full rule book written by non-sports people for non-sports people.
0: Well, I mean, whether that was just an unfamiliarity with baseball or whether it's an inherent fiddliness in the game, I don't know. I do know that um, a lot <laughs> of my American one-player girlfriends really enjoy that the game, that mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, you that know, they get into it from a baseball point of view, I think. Um, there is, an, uh, there is an American football version of the game out or coming out as well, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, football highlights uh, 2048 or something of that sort.
0: Yeah. Uh, and perhaps if they do a basketball version at some point, I might look at it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I found it really quite fiddly. I mean, as you were describing it, um, and, and I wonder if this is a, an unfair thing to say, but I, I, I started to think, oh, it's, um, it's Blood Bowl, the card game, but with deck building. Have you ever played Blood Bowl, the card game?
1: Uh, no, I, I, it was um, briefly popular at school, but I never got into it, so...
0: No, they, they Fantasy Flight did a card game. Um, okay. When was this? About 2016, I think. Not that long. Shortly before Fantasy Flight lost the Warhammer license Games Workshop licences. Okay. Um... And that was like a a better version of Smash Up, right? Um, you didn't combine decks; you had your your team, as it were. Um, you could buy star players to go into the, your deck, a bit like baseball highlights. Um, and you competed over. I think there were there were five spots. It was you could play two or three players so there were five spots um, that you were fighting over in a sort of a dual fashion. Mm. You put your cards onto one spot, and then one other player could put cards onto one spot, like Smash Up, but restricted to two players on each spot. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was a, a a good game, I think, that actually kind of disappeared quite quickly because of Fancy Flight losing the licence when they did. Sure. Um, yeah, one does one doesn't expect that sort of spin-off game to be good, but
1: uh, there, there's a uh, Monopoly card game I've suddenly heard people say really
0: encouraging things about. Yeah, I've heard that. It was it was something that was available for sort of £3 in one of the supermarkets at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard quite
1: serious gamers say, yeah, t- take a look at this. It's actually pretty good. A Monopoly Deal, I think it is the card
0: game. That's right, yeah. But, yeah, so returning to Baseball Highlights 2045, it was, um, yeah, I, I, I did struggle with it. And whether that was the rules, whether it was the, the baseballness, I, I I don't really know um i've i've always kind of viewed baseball as american cricket <laughs> and um cricket i tend to see as maths with bats <laughs> i i think both of them are something that lasts for for days and unless you've been brought up on the game you're never really going to understand it well possibly um
1: the i think the advantage here uh, it's not an obvious decision to make but the idea of going for just the relatively few plays Mm. that turned out to make a difference out of a much theoretically much longer game is an interesting one. and I suspect that may be one of the reasons it it becomes 2045, because uh, there there are rules being changed in order to say, right,
0: every game will end with a winner. But it's it's giving it an arcade spin, isn't it? That too, yeah. But
1: but if if you bought into this thinking this is going to be an authentic
0: baseball game, I think you would be disappointed. It's not a simulator. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, okay. baseball heights twenty forty five by Mike
0: Fitzgerald. So, um, speaking of complex and <laughs> cards, I've been playing Spirits Island,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which um, I think you've never played. I have not. I, it's no. What I'm
1: really interested in, I'm, I'm hoping to have a get together in a couple of weeks' time with somebody who has uh,
0: promised to teach it to me. So oh, this is this is opportune then. <laughs> Um, yeah i mean this has been one of my my top solo games um i think since it came out more or less um and you know, i i know in the last episode i said i wasn't going to do a, a top 20 this year i i, I might um so <laughs> i've been trying to to play some games ahead of that um and spirit island remains one of my favorite solo games i think i i have played it um multiplayer as well i've played it with um, with three people and with four right um, playing it solo, I know a lot of people play it one-handed, as in just playing one spirit in the game. Yeah, um, and I have seen people say, "I'll oh, start with that; it's simpler," and then move up to two. And I, I don't, I don't really see the need for that. I, I when I first got the game, I, I looked at how the game worked and saw that the different spirits interacted in the game, and that that was quite an important way that the game, part of the game, and how it played. Sure. Um, oh, I can see you'd be losing that completely if you just play. Yeah, so I, I just dove in and played it two-handed, and I've always played it two-handed. I've never found it too complex, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like oh, people that say it's too complex are just stupid. Uh, I'm sure that's not the case, but but I don't think that it's really adding anything to the complexity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the way the game works um, is a very uh, Vigorous round structure that you're following at the start of each round, your spirit will grow. Is the, inter- is the game's term. Um, this generally means removing some discs from your player board and placing them onto the map. Mm-hmm. That will... Removing those discs will um, either allow you to play more cards per turn or it will allow you to play more powerful cards per turn. So you have... You have something called energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the different cards you play have a different energy cost. So the more energy you have, the more powerful cards you can play effectively. So a bit like Eclipse, you're taking stuff off your playmat and you uncover
1: stuff on the mat as well as placing the stuff, placing the, the things you moved on the table.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then those present, the, the, the disc that you put onto the mapper, uh, that's your presence in that area. Um, and different cards you play will say that you've either it has to be an area you've got peasants in, or range one, or range two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so after you do that, you then move on to choosing which cards you're going to play. They'll either be fast or slow cards. If they're fast cards, you play them immediately. Um, if they're slow cards, you wait until after the the game has has had its turn. Mm-hmm. Um, So during the game's turn... Sorry,
1: this is is an exact same mechanic as in Thunderbolt Apache Leader and most of the other leader (laughs) games.
0: Yeah, it's it's not that innovative, quite honestly. I mean, it's (laughs) it's also been referred to, I think, as as a co-op Mage Knight. Um, There's this deck-building component to it as well. Yeah. Um, So during the the AI's, uh, you know, the game's turn, um, it's going to do three things. The first thing it's going to do is to ravage in an area. Mm-hmm. which basically means it's going to um, do a deterministic fight um, depending on what units it's got there as to how much damage it's going to cause if it's over than two it puts blight onto the island if blight spreads across the island you're going to lose the game sure um, after it's done the average phase it's going to build it's going to build wherever there's an explorer standing up a little guy with a flag
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Once you've done the build, you will move that card to the Vavage. So you know that you know where the Vavage is going to occur in the next turn. Sure. The next thing it's going to do is explore. You'll turn a card over from the top of the deck, and that will tell you where you're going to put the little guys with the flags. And presume- them- presumably
1: some of your powers can potentially uh, deal with them between they're being put out
0: and then they're building on the next turn. Exactly. And now- as you suggest, once you've done that, you move that card over to the build so that you can see... You always know where the ravage is going to happen. You always know where the build is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Once you've done that, you then play your slow cards, which are generally more powerful, but, yeah, the board has changed in between times. Um, And and that's it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's
1: So, in in some respects, a a classic solo slash co-op game like Pandemic or Flashpoint or
2: yeah. That's yeah. I mean, the other it, thing. It, it is. You've, it got is this,
1: slightly... you've got this spreading
0: threat that you need to contain and then er- eradicate. Exactly. Exactly. It is, you know, it's, it's slightly more complex, uh, well, slightly heavier, I should say, mm-hmm. um, than a, than Pandemic. Um, and heaviness I use to include both, you know, complexity, rules complexity and depth. Yeah. And I think it is a deeper game more than a complex game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of time spent thinking about what you're going to do, and that, that's sort of the, the, the core crunchiness of the game, as it were. Yeah, here, here is um, my
1: here is my palette of options I have
0: available this turn. Which yeah. am I, which am I going to use in which order? And it and it does that classic thing of a deck builder of um, you play the cards out of your hand. You've got them all available to your time. You're not drawing up to make a new hand at the start of the only term. All your cards are all available. Mm-hmm. Until you discard them and they're not available. Right. And then one of your growth phases will be instead of placing your discs out onto the map, will be picking up your hand again. Right. Picking up your discard again. Right. So so, so you're, you're
1: incentivized to leave that as late as possible so that you're not missing a turn too often. On the other hand, you want your
0: cards back. But you want your more powerful cards back, which presumably you've already played. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's that tension in it. Um Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. I enjoyed a lot. It's a good, slightly heavier co-op game, um, and the theme is perhaps even more relevant now than it was when the game came out in 2016, 2017, whenever it was. Yeah, it
1: does occur to me that they they could very easily have made it, you know, a generic fantasy thing: the orcs are invading,
0: you have to push them back, that kind of thing. But they didn't. So, well, I mean, interestingly, you can play it as a fantasy or or as a a more historical game. I mean I'm just looking at the rule book now that the the strap line on the rule book is Spirit Island the cooperative settler destruction strategy game. <laughs> so it's interesting they chose to focus on settler destruction as the <laughs> as the main thing. And I, I've never played with them. There are, there are modules that you can play in the game that incorporate specific uh, emp- empires. Um, I'm trying to think sort of nineteenth century empires, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so the French are one that you can play against and the English are another. I think there are more added in some of the expansions. Sure. Um, so you, you can play it as that sort of specific anti anti empire game. Um, or you can play it as I do as a more generic, ahistorical game of just there are these nameless settlers that are coming to our island and we're spirits, what demigods, whatever we are, that are interacting with the, the natives and trying mm. to protect them and push the colonists off our land. Yeah. So, as, as I say, depending on your taste, you can see it more as a, a fantasy game or as a historical game if that's what you want to mix into it, which is sure. interesting in itself.
1: So, Spirit Island...
0: By R. Eric Royce, Rius, Rus Royce, and I believe now <laughs> two or three expansions. Two two expansions, and also two promo packs. I think, mm-hmm. um, and and the promo packs are more valuable than some promo packs. <laughs> um, they, they each of them includes two new spirits that you can play with. Right, and you get uh, how,
1: how many in the base game?
0: six, eight. There's mm-hmm. a fair variety in the base game. Yeah. Um, but then you're know, adding more spirits it is going to increase the, the variability in that quite a bit. Combinatorial explosion, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, you, you lent me Mercator by uh, Rosenberg. I, I did.
0: How did you get on with this, Rogers? A game that's very far out of your traditional wheelhouse. It is. It, it's also quite far out of
1: what one thinks of as a, as a standard Uwe Rosenberg game. It is. But I really liked it. Um, oh, I'm I, glad to I, I will admit I didn't love it as a solitaire game, but mm-hmm. it was fun, and I, I would really like to try it multiplayer at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that really struck me was the, the interlocking puzzliness. So yeah. you know, here he, here is the the list of contracts that I could currently do something mm-hmm. with. I've I've already got on my board. So I want some of A and B, but there aren't any B out there. So I need to go somewhere that will trigger B production. And if I can supply some A at the same time, that will be better because I've only got a limited number of turns to do it in. And ideally, I'd also go somewhere where I can sell a thing I've already got. And, yeah. <laughs> and and then meshing with that, I've got this limited number of contracts on my board. So I have to drain that by spending it on, well, bonuses. But bonuses produce no endgame value at all. They just give me more stuff, and, unless you get the
0: the card that scores you for them. Yeah, there is one,
1: or or the what I ended up. Th- they're called the buildings, but I kept thinking of them as the victory point producers. Yes, and on the one hand, you say, here I've I've got a value of contracts. Well, in the solo game, contracts in, in the multiplayer game, cash mm. that I have to spend to get this card. So it ought to be worth more than that. On the other hand, there is no limit to the number of these buildings that I can buy, and mm-hmm. any contracts beyond the, the the five best will be counted only for half points so so that 's another another thing to juggle and yeah i I suspect i wouldn 't get very far playing it against somebody who knew how to play it <laughs> <laughs> i i certainly didn't didn 't do very well in terms of their recommended um, you know score to be vaguely competent. Mm. But um, I really enjoyed that as a as a puzzle game. Also, of course, in terms of what contracts are coming up in the deck, so it's not the same puzzle every time. No, um,
0: I mean I, I do think yeah. that that scoring threshold for, for, as you say, a competent solo game. I I think that is a high bar. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. people, it, it, you know, talking about Uwe Rosenberg. People always talk about seventeen in in, in Gates of Liang as being a, a really good victory. I, I think I can't remember what it what it is. Fifty three, whatever it is, in in Mercator. something like that. Yeah, I, I think that you know, that's a similar threshold. I I know one. <laughs> I, I do know somebody who seems to consistently score in excess of, of that, which makes me think I'm doing something wrong. But I, <laughs> I think it's a tough score to to get to.
1: Yeah, I I ended up I think in the high twenties. So <laughs> yeah, first game. Yeah, yeah. If if I were getting the recommended scoring thing on my first game, I would be kind of worried, to be honest. So yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Mercator, um not going to go and buy it, but if I saw people setting it up at a convention, even though it is quite a beige Euro game, I would probably go for
0: it. <laughs> the, the beigest of all Euro games.
1: Uh, it's got the coloured cubes.
0: It, it, does, it does have coloured cubes and, <laughs> and pretty little 3D troughs to put them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, hold them by the ends, not the sides. I learned this. <laughs> 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 yeah. OK, so... You came to see me, Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought Star Trek Ascendancy with you. And, and falsely believed something about the rules. <laughs> would, would you like to expand on that? Well, the,
1: uh, the it is recommended <laughs> that, if, if, particularly if you're playing with fewer than three players, you, sh- you should use the Borg, which are an automated opponent. We, we, we mm-hmm. mentioned at more length last time. Uh, yeah. And there are various degrees of setting them up uh, to, to produce a greater or lesser threat. And we, we used a moderate... Threat and right. they, they frankly walked all over us before we'd really had the chance to expand beyond the basic so quality did. worlds. They did. They did. So uh,
0: I don't know. So, so your error, your are claiming is just that perhaps we chose the wrong difficulty level.
1: Well, this is very similar to my experience playing them before, mm-hmm. which, which I had put down to my incompetence. Um, but. Maybe it's not that. Um, the other games I have played, I've had no Borg at all. Uh, but I do feel that in a, in a two player game without that external threat, it becomes too obviously, well, obviously I'm going to attack you, but there's nobody else yeah. I can attack. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I may have said last time, if it were just a war game without diplomacy, it would be too complex for the war game you get. With, yeah. with diplomacy, there are lots of little levers you can push and pull, which to, to me justify it a bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can see entirely what you're saying. I, I think as a, as a two-player game, it becomes more of a head-to-head duel, which isn't what the rule set is there for. Mm. Um as we possibly discussed last time, um, if we didn't discuss it, certainly we have discussed it when you were over here. You know, I, I know literally nothing about Star Trek mm-hmm. other than that. They all wear jumpers that are too tight for them.
1: I don't think of myself as not sure a fan, but you certainly got me
0: beat on the ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> as was A.B. demonstrated when you were here. Um, yeah. But, you know, despite that, I could see that it, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting game. Um, I think it, you know, it's it got a nice streamlined approach to, to things. You're, on your turn, you've got a, a fairly limited menu of what you can do, um, mm. which keeps things ticking over and you don't have a lot, a great deal of downtime. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm particularly keen on the uh, command system. You, you've got these five commands, which are stuff you can do in the moving ships mm. around and starting battles phase of your turn, you, and you can increase that later in the game. Yeah, by various means, but that's what you start with, and and there, particularly in the early stages, you don't really have hard choices about what to do with them. Mm. So that that helps a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I mean the, the biggest criticism I, I had was of the the Borg, mm. um, which, as you say, and and whether it was just a, a difficulty level scaling problem, I don't know, but they were they were far too overpowered for our game, and it ended very quickly.
1: Yeah, I've seen some comments on them being overpowered and other comments on they're a complete walkover. I
0: don't know why they even bothered to put them in the game, so I don't know what other people are doing. Well, I mean, that does kind of suggest that people are interpreting the rules differently to me. Possibly, yeah. Um, and I, Without having read it closely, I, I don't know what that ambiguity would be. I've tried having a quick scan of the forums on board game geek and I haven't come up with any answers to to that. Mm. Um. But certainly, you know, the, the experience of the game we played together was that there was a a vastly more powerful force than you were, which came straight out to meet you on the first or second turn. Yeah. And you have no hope against it. Mm. Yeah, I, I would
1: like to uh, try it again at, you know, not even necessarily bare minimum difficulty, but going below that. So, for example, um, maybe shuffling the potential Borg origin Disks down in the system disk stack, so everybody has a chance to get a bit of a start before they show up, mm-hmm. and then see if, see if that makes a difference. Um, I, I I feel more, more refinement is needed, at least at least in terms of me and the people I play with.
0: Yeah, I I, I mean that would be the first thing I, I would want to try. That, as you say, a, a delay to to when they appear. Mm. Um, so the fact that they're there right from the beginning, just um, you, you don't have a chance to get anything built before it's knocked down. Yeah. But other than that, no. Thanks for thanks for introducing me to the game. I, I'd never have looked at it otherwise. Mm.
1: I, I was uh, I was havering over it for quite a long time. I mean, I, I knew the designers because the designers also did the Firefly board game, which we've talked about before, and I'm, I'm very fond of. Yeah. Um, but I also knew from that that while while they are going to likely to produce a game that is fun, they are not the world's best rules writers. Uh, they, they tend to have ambiguities and, and uh, edge mm-hmm. cases and things and but then they did a really really nice deal as UK Games Expo so I was weak <laughs> It's the story
0: of your life Roger
1: Yeah pretty much, pretty much also <laughs> then I moved into a bigger house
0: <laughs> and, and you plainly thought oh I've got n- new rooms that need filling with board games Apparently so Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So that was Star Trek Ascendancy. So we're joined today by Tinsku Mutamaki and Uli Bleneman to talk about uh, Essen and how it went from the publisher's point of view this year, how it compared to previous years. Um, Uli is the sole man in charge of Spielworks Games. Um, and Tinsku is the, the CEO of uh, of Dragon Dawn Productions. We, we've heard from from Ren Mutamaki on this podcast previously. Um, Uli, would you like to introduce yourself better than what I did?
3: Yeah, oh, that was almost perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm running Spielworks uh, since uh, 2010, and um, yeah, you know, this is a small um, board game publisher um, based in Germany, and um, yeah, that's what I'm I'm doing. But I'm in the industry since 1993, so it f- it feels like a hundred years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we've got any listeners who are younger than that.
3: Yeah. Cool, yeah.
0: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and Tinsku, how about yourself?
4: I'm um, Tinsku, and I, I I worked in with Ren in uh, Dragon Dawn Productions now for what over ten years with board games.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and yeah, I I mainly handle all the boring stuff like like all the all the financial stuff and all that in in the board games and do mostly mostly the testing part in in our game design and um and then the Essen is is the one main main event of the year i have mm. to say and yes we have missed it and this was great great year to go back to essen again
0: how do you think it compared to to previous years I from my point of view I, I spent most of the events stood on the the end of the Dragon dawn production stand demoing my own games there um and from where I was standing that the corridors looked a lot a lot more clear a lot more um room to move than in previous years but that the the the, you know, the the demos I was running were well, it was just a constant turnaround there, there was no time to stop really um, so the stand itself was just as busy as in previous years, even as the whole event sort of felt calmer to me. The atmosphere was nicer and less stressed.
4: Yeah, th- there was definitely less people than, than the last previous years. Uh, but, but then on the other hand, the people who were there were really visiting all the booths. So mm. I have <laughs> to say that, that, this was really busy and and really successful year. I think all the publishers and all our friends that uh, we spoke after the fair, they were really really pleased and really happy uh, of the fair. Um, I I think this was something that the industry really needed this experience that yes we are back alive (laughs) I could say.
3: Yeah, I, I have to agree, um, and I, I think um, that the people who attended the fair were really eager to play, to see new games, uh, to see old favorites, yeah. and also to buy, so which is of course is for publishers quite important. And yes, um, Lee, you are right. I think on, on Thursday and Friday, there were a lot less people than in um, n- normal years. But in my opinion, and um, actually um, on, on Saturday and on Sunday, starting at noon, I think there were too many people already in the halls. So really? it may be just um, that I'm seeing it now a little bit differently because I'm not used to these masses of people uh, during the pandemic, but uh, we knew late on Friday that they had sold out on Saturday on uh, tickets because they had a cap this Mm -hmm. year, 30,000 maximum, and we knew that 30,000 were coming on Saturday, and I think this is too much uh, to really enjoy the fair. I had a couple of meetings in the back halls, five and six, which are normally not that crowded, but it was really packed, and uh, and this was, um, and this effect was increased because, as you know, as as an attendees, they did not use the full halls. So on on both ends, there were several meters, so ten, fifteen, twenty meters that were closed off by walls. So and so to mm. squeeze people in. Yeah. So. Most probably to give them a a, a wonderful experience so that there are not some empty space between booths, but I think on on Sunday and especially on Saturday it did not work that well. And, but when you said... I thought, I
0: thought that was a
3: really strange decision. Yeah, absolutely. Because they must have paid for for this, uh hall. so They cannot just rent seventy five percent and um, even let's if they aren't used for for uh, booths, then um, put in gaming tables so that people can play in, in these uh, spots. So that was strange. Or
0: well, if there's if the corridors between the stands were just one meter wider, each one. They could have done that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't actually know why this was done. My my understanding yeah. is that um, they wanted to give the um, impression that everything is, yeah. that there are no uh, empty spaces. And at my tiny booth this year, there was in effect three meters of empty space on one side, but this was, there mm-hmm. was a wall. So you could think there is probably a cabin in there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to give this impression. And I think it's important for our visitors to see that there is everywhere, there is something. If there are just empty spots in between, I, I think it's not good for, for mm-hmm. the experience, but it didn't really help on Saturday and on Sunday. I don't
1: yeah. know how much this applies to conventions, but I've certainly heard it said about shopping streets that they would much rather have you know one one end of it that's just empty and nobody goes to than one shop
3: in three empty. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. But but um, I think on the overall, it was a very successful uh, fair because I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I'm. I'm a pessimist in general, so I thought I'm not sure if there will be a lot of people, if anything will happen, and I think um, it it was a good experience and a well-run fair. Mm -hmm.
0: How did sales go for for both of you in the end? You don't have to give me exact figures if you don't want, but compared to previous years, was it up, down? Is it what what you're expecting or better?
4: Well, for us, this was definitely one of the best years in, in, in sales. And of course, uh, the years vary a lot depending of how many new games you have and, and what type of games. And this year we, we were really successful with our new products. Um, but also, um, in, in our, experience and and the other people that we talked with, I think that there were the people who came there, they did come there to spend money. That there has been they have been waiting for two years now (laughs) to to actually buy board games and even though you were not allowed to carry those big bags and and you couldn't see Mm. those huge piles of, of board games carried around that you normally have but that was because of the new regulations but but people actually they bought both board games and then they delivered them to mm. storage places and, and to the garage and, and there was this place where you were able to, to send those directly to your home and then go back and, and buy some more games so that is what happened and what I heard from also other exhibitors that people were definitely buying.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. So uh, I think, um, so I actually, I underestimated um, a pessimist. Uh, so I underestimated uh, the demand and uh, from the new release or pretty new release, I mm-hmm. sold out on Saturday. So um, that was very good, but it's difficult for me to compare because on in 2019 I had 90 square meters and I went back to mm-hmm. 10 square meters this year to so five by two meters the smallest possible site and I only booked the booth in September because I wasn't sure uh, if the event would take place. Mm-hmm. The deadline was late May and at, at that time I wasn't vaccinated here in Germany and I said, well, no, I'm, I'm not booking a, a, a booth. I, I really want to. Be vaccinated um, twice and then I'll decide. So, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, on a larger booth, if it's 90 square meters, you, you can demo more games, you can sell more games, and all this. So, it's difficult to hmm. prepare, but better than my expectations for sure. And good, yeah.
0: So, all in all, you're, um, you're... You're both glad, I think it's fair to say, that, that Essen is back, that it happened.
4: Yes, yes, yeah. it, it's, <laughs> it, it, it was definitely needed. And I have heard that Essen already has had an impact for the industry, that the, the next fairs that are happening in, uh, in Germany, uh, I don't know if Stuttgart Fair already was or is it... Coming, but uh, but the, uh, they have got a new boost because of of the experience that people had in e- Essen. Mm-hmm. That uh, that now everybody saw that this can work, and and people are are moving, and so so now I think we are like slightly going back towards the normality that where we
3: were. Yeah, I, I think for, for the um, industry, for the hobby and industry, it was the most important event after mm. this time. Because it's something different if you are at home and playing always with your same local groups, three to yeah. four people and enjoying this. This is fine. But from time to time, it's uh, really important that you see others um uh, mm. Also loving these hobbies. You see them. Wow! Wow! Wonderful. Look at this. Look at that. I think this is um, brings back energy, and this is also true for me because I'm living in a rural area. And sometimes I'm thinking here, working on games. Where are all the people who shall play and buy these games? So it really um, it is my most stressful week in the whole year, but it also brings back some some energy. And in Germany, if I'm not totally mistaken, this was the largest affair happening since early twenty twenty not in fairs but also in sports events, in music events so uh ah. and it worked, and it worked, so that was really most important, of course, on the other hand, um going back to a little bit to a critique is um you know you could enter the fairground with a 48-hour-old test. And in my opinion, a, a test that is that old is worth nothing.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm. A lot of the events now in Germany are, we call it 2G versus 3G, because g- this G in German means, um, so 3G is geimpft, so vaccinated or genesen, mm-hmm. so recovered, or um, get tested, tested. And 2G means just testing is not enough. You only can enter if you are vaccinated or have recovered. And This mm-hmm. is not true for a lot of the sports events or for other events. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, a lot safer, but it means, of course, less people.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: And it's difficult to judge and nobody tracked as you know anything. You know the rules were mm-hmm. up to fourteen days before the start of the fair that everybody if you if you're playing at, at the table, if you're demo or yeah. game, you need to track the names and the times of everybody playing at your table. Mm-hmm. Which of course is takes a little bit of effort, but just a tiny bit. Now then this was lifted. So if there was COVID in the, uh, in the halls, and of course there was, you know, this is, yeah. it would be a miracle if not, nobody knows how it's spreading. And you know, right now here in Germany, the numbers are increasing dramatically mm-hmm. again. And, um, yeah, but on the whole, still, I think it's successful. It was successful and was most important, but I have mixed feelings uh, looking back. Um, I'm
0: I'm going to come back to that in a moment, Uli, but I just wanted to point out that Tinskou laughed when you said you lived in a rural area.
4: (laughs) Yes, I did. Because, Uli, dear, you live in Central Europe. I'm here above the Arctic Circle in the middle of nowhere where I don't have absolutely no neighbours. And my family spent... The COVID year here, we we were stuck in this forest with just the three of us. And, uh, yeah, uh, my husband didn't leave our home for a year and a yeah. half. And all we could do was design new board games.
3: So I take everything back so I'm <laughs> yeah. in, a, in, a, in a metropolitan area. But yeah. actually, I lived for 37 years uh, in the neighboring town of of Essen, neighboring city, so right. I know the rural area, which is one, as you know, one huge city, and not several yeah. cities. And then we gradually move to to yeah for for Germany, this is a rural area actually where <laughs> I, I live in, but of course it's nothing uh, like that. But for the pandemic. It was actually very nice being here because uh I didn't see that many people. And even when there was uh, in Germany, there was no real hard lockdown, but several soft lockdowns. My daily life did not change um, much. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, but I have to also say that, uh, uh, because I, I live in, uh, in a municipality with 8,000 people and this tiny village where, where our house is has less than 200 people. So of course the experience, uh, in Essen with, uh, what did we said over 90,000 visitors during the, the four days. So that was amazing amount of, People that we saw, and uh, it it was also kind of scary. That, wow. that yes, yeah. I, I I totally understand and, and and share the the mixed feelings. Um, we booked our booth before there was any any knowledge of of getting any vaccinations in in Finland. So so in, we were optimistic. We, we, we booked our booth. We booked even bigger booth than, than, the previous years. And, and we really hoped that we were able to, to go to Essen. And actually I, I visited our municipality leader to, to talk about the vaccinations and to explain our situations that come on, we really need those that we cannot work during the autumn time. And we cannot go to the fair unless we get those vaccinations because our municipality was was really slow Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
4: in in the vaccinations. And we had our son, who is 15 years old, uh, with us at the fair. And also we had to work really hard to get his vaccinations in time so that he was able to travel with us. So... um, it, it hasn't hasn't been really easy, and then our son has been trying to talk at school to his friends that come on, that that this is this is how this works, and 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 he has been the example to to schoolmates that that you should really vaccinate yourself if you want to uh, do something <laughs> in the future and 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 join events and and travel. Um, and I don't know, well, he had, he has managed to, to convince some of his school friends. But of course, here in, in real rural areas, uh, <laughs> we haven't had that many COVID cases and, and therefore also, um, the danger of COVID can, can seem, um, so far away that people yeah. also don't, don't really see the vaccination that important than it is in, in bigger cities and in Central Europe. Yeah. So it is, we are we are living a really, really difficult time with with this disease.
0: I mean, I I agree. I think it was a very, I, I found it a very stressful idea going to Essen. Um, and I found it stressful when I was there, particularly in the evenings, going out to restaurants, which were meant to have, screens between tables and social distancing and everything else, and didn't, frankly. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, like Uli, I'm in a... a, a, What's in sort of, you know, the the main part of Europe is considered a rural area, a village in southern England, very (laughs) as opposed to the wilderness that Tinsku lives in. (laughs) But I I found that the, the decision, as you say, Uli, 14 days before the event, to suddenly the, 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 the uh, convention organizers suddenly changed their protocols up until that point anybody that was um, demoing a game for greater than five minutes that was sitting down at a table with other people had to have those games logged and 14 days beforehand the convention organizers suddenly did away with that requirement mm-hmm. And i don't know why and i, I didn't find that reassuring frankly
3: Um, No, it it was not reassuring, but they basically followed federal laws here. You know, Essen is in Nordrhein-Westfalen, and uh, all the German federal states have slightly different rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the numbers were pretty good in September and uh, in early October, they lifted some of the restrictions. And Merz Verlag, the organizers of Essen, they followed. But they uh, didn't have to because as the organizers, you Mm -hmm. can have stricter rules. And in some areas, they had stricter rules because at that time, it wasn't even mandatory to always wear a mask Mm -hmm. for for an event. And they um, had this still, as you know, in effect, but this was lifted. And that was really felt
0: Yeah, again, living in England, um, I'm fully aware of the stupidity of governments and (laughs) not passing the the right laws or the laws that they should be passing.
1: Well, the the thing we've just had, I, I don't want to name names, but I've been talking with a couple of game conventions recently that are going to be running in the next few months. Mm. And some of them are saying, yes, let's be sensible about this proof of vaccination, wear masks all the time and so on. And some of them are just saying, well, the law says this, so we'll do what the law says. But that's basically no restrictions. So go ahead.
0: Have a well, time. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, like Uli hinted at just now, I think, you know, a, a vaccination or a test, it, it should be vaccination and a test. Yeah, I think.
3: Yeah. And and, and you all know a vaccination is not a guarantee. Mm, but exactly you're not spreading that much and normally you aren't getting that ill. So, so it's definitely mm. helpful, but please also test. And I tested myself all the days after as for five mm. days, just one of these quick tests. So, yeah. but if yeah. they would be positive, you can still do a PCR uh, test um, afterwards. Mm. and, one thing that was actually very good at Essen was that I did not lose my voice on the first two days. So I not <laughs> okay, losing very my close. voice on the first, uh, <laughs> first day, uh, but I lost it on the on Saturday pretty much, and then on Sunday morning, when you're waking up and you're you're coughing a little bit, you are already feeling. Oh, w- yeah. w- what's normally you're saying? Well, this is typical Essen. I have no voice, but. Uh, that's what it is, but now in these times you're thinking, oh, something, maybe there is something, and then a test. It's not a guarantee, of course. We yeah. know that these are not 100% secure, but it's helpful. It's helpful. Yeah. You,
0: you mentioned cases arising in Germany at the moment. H- has Have you heard anything about cases being linked to Essen or not?
3: No, because you can't track it, and people, of course, left to. Um, Left to other countries and uh, mm. nobody knows, nobody will knows. But we had in the whole of Germany yesterday, we had 90 dead people from, from COVID again. And, and it's record numbers since, since May, I think. Uh, so yeah. uh, it's not over, but you have to see in Germany right now, you can't get more people vaccinated. Mm. We have um, a pretty large part of the population. 10 percent, 15 percent of adults who simply don't believe in vaccinations for various reasons. And yeah. this is different from other countries like Portugal, where where you or or Ireland, where you, where you can't find people to to get vaccinated. Everybody there is basically as an adult vaccinated. Yeah. But here in Germany, it's quite different. Yeah.
0: So. Essen generally, I think, we all agree was a success. Um, we're glad it happened, <laughs> despite our worries. <laughs> Roger, as the, the only one of us that wasn't there, I should point out we're recording this, um, what, two weeks after, after the yeah. convention, which is why I'm able to ask whether there's been any uh, tracked incidences going back to it. But, Roger, is there anything you'd like to ask as somebody that wasn't there?
1: Uh, Well, I've already heard that the really important thing. The Potato Spirals guys weren't there this year, apparently, so you know.
0: I've I've never found him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've looked. I've never found him. I don't believe he's real. But um, I I will say, the reason I go to Essen in in normal years, I mean, I I like the game demoing, and I like the atmosphere anyway, but the the reason I specifically want to go there is to look at the little publishers who, you know, they don't have a big Kickstarter Mm. or whatever. They've Punted a load of money on a small booth in one of the back halls, and mm. I'm never going to hear of that game anywhere else. So, I mean, what was? I don't know. I suspect Dragon Dawn, from my perspective, counts as a relatively large publisher. But did did, did you get the <laughs> feeling that that there were more of those really really tiny, you know, the one and two person operations, or fewer, or how, how was that going? There
4: weren't that many of those those really really tiny places and uh, i did visit both uh, five um, where you a whole five yeah whole yeah. five where usually uh, there is some some various stuff now the the whole four was t- completely empty
0: yeah mm-hmm. there was the no whole four this year. was
4: quite weird uh but uh, at at hall five, there were some of those those very very small game designers. Like, do you want to test my my uh, thing? But I didn't mm. see other these tiny publishers uh, on on my quick rounds around the halls. Okay. Uh, also, what I really missed from from Essen uh was those like accessory sellers, mm. uh mm. those artists and, and handcrafts. Uh, there weren't really many of, of those booths. I think for them the this was way too risky year to participate. And mm. for me they have created the, the magical like the atmosphere of of mm-hmm. this, and yeah. you, you you can find some really really weird stuff, somehow related to board games that you you cannot find anywhere else, and that was that was lacking. Mm-hmm. And also, what we as the publisher were missing were retailers. There were surpri- surprisingly little retailers, and. And yeah, the Chinese manufacturers. I yeah. would wanted to have meeting with some of them, <laughs> <laughs> but the, but mostly the the Chinese manufacturers and and their little presents are just some, some extra thingy at, at the Essen. I I was um, a bit surprised that at the very first day there came a, a Chinese. Uh, man uh, a little envoy of of one manufacturer with a suitcase that I have a message from a chinese manufacturer, and then there was a little little gift box and and we had a chat uh, about um, what what they can product and and what what is our needs and so on so some one one company had really made an effort uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I think uh, the tiny little bit of, of the normal spirit of Essen was missing. Mm. Yeah. I don't miss the potatoes though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, Actually, I, I think
3: uh, that the spiral potatoes weren't there because the COVID rules are that inside you, you, um, uh, you cannot um, sell food, just mm-hmm. the official Messe Essen were allowed and all the others were pushed outside, even not in the Galleria, which is between halls two and five, that there there weren't any food uh, stands this year, just some play um, areas. And yes, I also think that a lot of the um, accessory um, retailers, sellers weren't, weren't there and a lot of the tiny publishers, small publishers did not attend this year. And it was more a national or EU event because mm-hmm. for everybody outside of the EU, of course, it's not that easy to enter mm-hmm. Germany or it's more costly uh, to to enter uh, Germany in these times. Mm-hmm. So you see very few from the U.S. were there. was Capstone, yeah. I think Indie Boats and I saw Travis. So they definitely were there. Yeah, the m- US, most
1: of their demo time. team is local to Germany. And they they send one or two people over, so that's relatively easy for them. Yeah, different,
3: but at least they they have some some uh, presence. But you have also have to see being at Essen is terribly expensive mm. anyway. So, and if you let's say you are you you are selling accessories and you are counting on two hundred thousand people to sell your goods, and then there are suddenly less than half of them, is it really worthwhile to be there? So you never know. And even this year, I was really surprised when I booked my tiny booth th- that late in September, that the costs were <laughs> per square meter were higher than in 2019. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, wow, interesting. So, yeah. But it's, it, it's expensive. It's really expensive.
0: I think I'd agree with that. I think rather than, um, the, the, the smaller publishers not being there, I think it was more the, the international publishers. I think that the, the big American publishers didn't have such a big presence. Um, and then the, the Japanese, the, the Asian publishers, they weren't there. Um, a lot of the British publishers weren't there. Surprised their games weren't there. Um, and that was reflected, I felt, in the, the people, the, the customers, the general convention goers as well. I think while I was running conventions, I don't think I spoke to a British person the entire time I was there. I don't think I spoke to an American the entire time I was there. I spoke to one Australian who had made the journey, two Australians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a far more, as, as you say earlier, it was a far more central European convention than it has been in years past.
1: Yeah. Uh, the thing I did here suggested was uh, because... Um, of the uncertainty, they were they, the uh, organisation was saying, if if you want to not have your booth this year, we won't kick you out of the queue for next year, which would be the normal rules. Uh So mm. I, I understand that, particularly some some of the very large publishers decided. Well, okay, this is the year we can find out how not being at Essen really affects our sales, and still come back next year if we want to. So maybe there was some of that as well
0: that that was certainly a, a story postulated on a board game gig i think mm-hmm. wasn't it? eric martin mentioned that how do you guys think that the lack of the the big publishers affected you do you think it gave more more visibility to your games or fewer people coming around or and no impact at all
4: it's hard to say that what what affected what that uh, we had Plenty of visitors. Uh, mm. I think we got got uh, good good publicity to our games, but uh, was it because we just made so extremely good games, or was it because somebody oh. else wasn't wasn't <laughs> at the fair? I don't I don't know. Um, so yeah, h- hard to say that that did it. Is ha- did it have any effect, like to to our presence? Um, the one weird mm. part, uh, in our point of view, was that on on uh, uh, Wednesday, when when the novelty room uh, opened, uh, that the press people were not allowed to enter the booth area, and that was different from the earlier years. Mm. And that that was I, I don't know why. They made that rule uh, that made the Wednesday kind of like an, uh, well, it was an extra building day for for the booth. But normally we have had people visiting our booth already on on Wednesday and they have been mostly press people. um, Mm -hmm. And now that was different.
0: It's probably just as well since I didn't get the stand material to you until 10 to eight. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, bl- blightly to a ring road.
0: <laughs> I did.
3: <laughs> but, but this was uh, due to COVID rules as well. So they said they won't on Wednesday because there are so many more people in there just building the booth. They don't want the press people in there. Although there were some press people made it into the uh, uh the booze, uh but this is due to COVID rules. And this year you even had to, as you know, separate uh passes um for for just to set up your booze on, on Wednesday or dismantle it. And getting back to the question um if the absence of the Asmode group or HABA or two F or DLP, um, if this would affect my sales, no. Because this is a different audience and there's very yep. little overlaps. This is more, especially in, with some Asmodee games, this is more a mass market or Harvard's mainly yeah. uh, it's games. So, and but very difficult uh, to say. yeah.
0: Harb, Harbour for me were the most noticeable absentee. Um I think a lot of the, the attention was on Asmodee Group before the convention, but they were present. They weren't as present as, you know, they, they weren't as big as they have been in years past, but their, their new releases were there.
3: Yeah, but um, then the releases were there, but they didn't have, uh, you know, Asmode normally is, is basically renting. Hall of Hall which, 1. Yeah. Hall 2, <laughs> so, which is Hall 3, and they have more than yeah. 200 demo people uh, alone. Yeah. So the uh, same policy for, for the U.S. Uh, they weren't at Gen Con. They weren't at Origins. Yes. So, uh, and let's face it, as we said, Essen and Gen Con and Origins cost so much money. And Asmodee had the best year ever. Cosmos had the best year ever. Ravensburger had the best year ever. They don't need any sales at at, um, Essen and Cosmos and Ravensburger isn't even selling in large numbers. I think Ravensburger, not at all. Just marketing, but it's Mm. definitely um, the floor space alone of Cosmos is more than 100,000 euros. Uh, But after that year, who cares?
0: (laughs) Okay, is there anything either of you would like to say either about Essen generally or about your your own experience there, game sales, your publisher, Pheasants. Any other observations you'd like to make?
3: Uh, what I first, what I'm hoping is that there will be next year. Let's hope that the pandemic is really under control. So let's hope for that that, that we have, that we have this under control. So there is another essence, mm-hmm. and I really hope that there will be that they will cap the number of people per day. Or that they will, if they have higher numbers again, that they will increase the number of halls because you know there are lots of more halls at Essen which aren't yeah. used at that time. Um, so, so uh, because I don't want to get back to 2017, 18, or 19 on a Saturday, never ever. Mm-hmm. I'm so stressed. Way too many people. Noise level is it's. It's simply... It's not nice. You no, know, it's not nice. It's not really bearable. And let's assume in Hall 3, and we are in an industry with lots of paper and cardboard,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and there's electricity and um, and lighting, and if there is uh, some accidents, if there is a panic in Hall 3, you can't stop it. So, so it's also, in my opinion, quite dangerous. Of course, this means that if they really want to cap the number of people per day, how do they do this? First come, I'm not sure if this is doable, probably lower the number of four day tickets, which mm-hmm. weren't available this year. Um, but it's difficult because the organizers, they want their profits and the large companies want their profits as well. So um, difficult to say that, but I'm hoping that the number of people won't be increased too much. Um, what I, personally, what I think I'm doing, definitely I want more than five by two meters. This is too small for a regular year, but I don't want to go back ever to 90 square meters. I think this is not necessary. <laughs> I saw what you can do in a small booth with a tiny team, with a good team. And, uh, let's increase this to maybe 30, 40 square meters. And then I'm, uh, I'm absolutely happy. I don't see this necessary to have more but yeah we'll see thanks good
4: i have to say that i i like the the size of essence peel this year uh not only because i didn't have to queue to the ladies toilet but <laughs> but also like it, it it was somehow you 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 were able to tolerate the the amount of of people, that there was there was action going on, but but uh, you didn't start to feel panicking when trying to move in into the crowd. So I I really kind of hope that that uh, Essen could find some kind of a balance that it wouldn't want to throw the amount of people in in the in the halls uh, mm-hmm. at at one. One time, too, too large But um, what I would like to get as a as a exhibitor, I, w- I would like to get more accurate data of of that uh, how many people, what kind of people, what kind of tickets were bought. Because, for instance, this year uh, Thursday was the best year to us. So, who were there on Thursday? Uh, I, I I would like to. Get more. Yeah, the,
0: the first day was the best first day that you've ever had.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was, that was surprising. And, and like that, what kind of, what is the visitor like, um, uh, what, what kind Demographic. of visitor? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that, that the, the organizers of the events provide, uh, much, much data. To the exhibitors uh, of, of the event to, to learn, and also, um, uh, I would like to have the possibility to give some feedback mm. to the organisers.
0: Um, I wonder yeah. if this year um, there, there was a sort of a cadre of board gamers, for want of a better word, who knew that they wanted to go to and knew that they wanted to buy some new games. But were wary of COVID and wanted to get into the convention and get out before the families came at the weekend. In their heads,
2: yeah, yeah, that could be.
3: Yeah, I, I think um, I'm, I'm more a, a company catering to to true gamers, to the core gamer. So my always my first Thursday, I'm selling most, mm. Friday less, Saturday less, and Sunday less. So yeah. it's always isn't this was the same. This year, so it's very hard uh, to say, but um, yes, the true core gamer I think most of them uh, attended on Thursday, and uh, on Saturday, of course, there were core gamers who had no um, free time from work, no holidays, so they had to arrive on th- Saturday, and uh, lots of people normally purchase um, for day ticket, which wasn't um, possible this year. You had to buy single tickets and again, costs very high. Yeah. So 22 euros for a day ticket is a lot. So in, in, in former years, let's say you are a family, you are a gamer, but not a core gamer. and You are uh, saying on a Sunday with a family, two kids, four people, you're saying, ah, let's go to the Messe Essen and this is nice. We can uh, maybe play some games. Maybe we are buying something for Christmas this year. This is already 88 euros for four persons. And you, will you really make it uh, to Essen? I'm not mm-hmm. that sure. But um, I have to agree on the data. And that's why the organizers are notoriously bad with providing this data. And I'm not sure how accurate it is anyway. So in, in former years, it was always uh, a, an increase by 5% or t- to 10%, but nobody really knew. Is it 190,000 people? Is it 200,000 people? Is it 205,000 uh, people? Nobody knows. And um yeah, they want to be number one in the world. And mm-hmm. that's why their numbers always have to be a little bit higher than GenCon. And um, this is a different c- accounting system yeah. anyway. And yeah, sometimes it's it's strange. And um, I would like to see more data as well. And I also would like to have a little bit more help organizing mm such a fair because for small publishers it's really hard work we do not have an event team that is just doing this so it's it's difficult but basically you are buying the floor space and from there do you can do and you pay and we don't and maybe there's a little bit too harsh but they care maybe not enough so yeah yeah
0: Uli, I'm curious Sorry, in I know Dragon Dawn did um, essence Spiel digital last year did did, did spielworks do it
3: no <laughs> I'm not believing in it I had to <laughs> this year which is a, which is a very strange concept so so staying at 2021 yeah. uh, this year for a second this year as you know you could only participate in spiel digital when you had a booth at
0: SM. yeah yeah which so seems really yeah. Which is
3: weird. And ninety p- uh, percent of the uh people who had a booth at Aston do not have a team that is at home running yeah. digital. So all the videos were canned and I had very little. I had an intro video and then what I'm doing at the booth and that's it. So yeah. And in the year before I'm 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 really not believing in, in canned videos and all this stuff. I believe mm-hmm. in live events. I'm doing mm-hmm. the weekly Spielworks chat at Twitch. And I'm running Conworks, which is very small, but two weeks before Essen. So I did this last year, so no Spiel Digital. And I did this this year also two weeks before um, Essen. And uh, so, and I, I, yes, I logged into Spiel Digital last year and I found it horrible.
0: Really. Uh, Yeah, it is something digital conventions I don't really understand at all, but we have discussed this on a previous episode. Um, and I think the advice that we were told then was basically to do exactly what you're doing, of having a a, a, a customer specific format. If you like, yeah. right. you're engaging with the community, and those are the people that you know are interested in, you know, the, the, the heavier Euro games that Spielberg's produces.
3: Yeah, and uh, I think this is um, better. But of course, some publishers said uh digital was quite important for them, that they were selling quite a bit of um, videos. We have to see um, that some of the large German uh, publishers didn't do basically anything, like mm. some videos and then some links to their uh, web page, and others really tried to have guests and did something. So it's a little bit too harsh when I'm saying Spiel Digital on the whole was bad, but I think it was badly managed. Yeah. All these icons, these weird uh, parts, and then you had to log into rooms didn't really work too well. And you have to see the Merz Verlag, the organizers, is a tiny, tiny company with just a few people. And only yeah. for Essen, they are hiring some uh, some people to, to run uh, Essen and they have no experience with with digital uh, events at all and yeah and when I'm when I booked my booth in September of this year so I I got the documents and there was you have access to spiel digital again I phoned them they organized and said is it possible to live stream from from Essen and I would definitely have done this for mm. an hour or two a day with my primitive equipment, but I think this would be nice for people maybe in Australia or wherever yeah. who aren't able to attend. And they said, mm, we are not sure. And I said, do I have Wi-Fi access here? Is it good enough? And I know that you know that Germany is <laughs> basically the worst in all, all of Europe with, uh, with uh, Wi-Fi. And they said, well, you have to set this up uh, yourself. And I said, Oh well, thank you. So... Uh, <laughs>
0: So I didn't do anything. Yeah. Thanks, I, I interrupted you earlier. What were you going to say? Can you remember?
4: I was about to mention that there was uh, Spill Digital also. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I have absolutely no idea. Did anything happen on, on the Spill Digital? Uh, somehow... Uh, all the information of of the Spiel Digital just stopped when the fair started. Yeah. So Very I cool. I I have to say that I have absolutely no idea whether there were any people actually visiting the 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 digital fair. Mm.
0: How did you, as, as we said just now, Dragon Dawn did do Spiel Digital in 2020,
4: and we did... had all our our novelties and all our games and everything presented also this year. Yeah, uh, at the at the digital booth. But
0: but just, you, I mean, you can talk about both years if you want. But from 2010 to perspective, do you think it was worthwhile?
4: Nope. <laughs> 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 one word answer, lovely. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That was that was an experience, definitely. Learning learning point. Uh and, um and I I kind of hope that it would have developed somehow. Mm. Um, and I know that some companies have managed to create something phenomenal out of the digital presence during the COVID year uh, but, uh, but it really needs that you you have persons and, and you have equipment and, and you have somehow the, the spirit that you want to be online and you want to do stuff online and <laughs> we haven't found yet the it's the magical key to to do that kind of uh, presence, and uh, and then the um, the platform for for the Spiel digital, I don't think that it has found like any any visitors, any any real like.
0: It, it's it's hard to imagine why people are, are wanting to go there, what they're hoping yeah. to get from it. It's it's. Yeah. Yeah, you know, intrinsically a different experience to going to a convention. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I just, I think that the digital part should be should stay, and it should be possible for companies who aren't attending the uh, fair still be part of Spiel Digital. Especially if you are from overseas or from Oceania, I think yeah. it, it's a wonderful. But um, you need to handle this well, and you need to also help the publishers. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, in the tabletop industry, uh, most companies uh, neither have the experience nor the equipment nor the people to run this successfully, and it may give you a, a bad idea if you handle this Battery. But I know from, from a friend I talked to last week, he, he attended Spiel Digital this year and he right. played a couple of uh, of games. Um, I think uh, Pegasus, so um, via Tabletopia yeah. or TTS, so he did so. But of course, doing this, you already need to be a core gamer because no family would simply uh, yeah. then switch on TTS as well and handle the pretty simple um, the keys and and play a game, so you already must be deeply in
0: your and and you kind mind. of imagine that those people are already aware of a lot of these games that
3: Absolutely. they're
0: engaged on various other digital platforms board game geek or you know whatever it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean just to. Like, imagine if, if uh, Merz Ferla could also try to cr- start creating some digital um, content from Spiel, uh, mm. um, like um, Board Game Geek has done those interviews mm. and, and presenting games and so on, that actually the organizers of the Spiel would, would organize something similar yeah. uh, during the fair. And, and the publishers could, could uh book it, their inter, interviews,
0: demos, yeah. interviews, and, and like demos, Uli says, yes. live feeds from the booths.
4: Something mm-hmm. like that, and and that would have been that would be done by the organisers mm-hmm. of of the event.
3: Yeah. But, but but again, the organizer is too small for this. They need to hire more people. But yeah. I, I think in 2019, Asmodee did a lot because they have the capability. So there yeah. was uh, a lot that, that, that happened live and, and was um, mm. streamed. And some others did this as well. So in Germany, Hunter and Cologne, now Hunter and France are huge. They have 40,000 or more followers at at YouTube, and they did this uh, earlier, but they weren't allowed to do so this year, because um, there's this competition in in Germany. Um, Martha and France, they started the Berlin Convention in July a couple of years ago, and now it was in September. And this is becoming, yeah, well, it, it's not direct competition because Aston is an international affair. But in 2019, the Berlin Convention in July had 10,000 people. So that was a, a sizable number of people. And you can play over there. It's a convention, not a fair. So, yeah. and when Merz Verlag noticed oh, this may be competition or <laughs> <All> support for. <laughs> For them, uh, dropped in a minute and that was also strange. But, and one thing get, getting back to, to Spiel Digital. Mm-hmm. So when I said, in my opinion, it was a failure, quite a few people at least enjoyed, uh, enjoyed in truth in last year, the official stream in German language. In my opinion, it's a, for an international affair an international enormity, mm-hmm. and Essen is international in I think this is quite strange to have this the official stream in German, but it is what it is, but yep. they always had. Um, and this was starting in the morning and ending late in the evening, they had always several thousand visitors. Right. And this was, and they played games there mm-hmm. and uh, showcased games and the people doing this were pretty good, in my opinion, when I saw a um, this and are, the chat was lively but this was sponsored by Pegasus and Cosmos and I so think. there was money in, in, in there and of course there were yeah. quite a few Cosmos and Pegasus games yeah. presented yeah. and yeah it, and maybe one final thing then this boring monologue is, <laughs> it, uh, is over what, what, what I find really interesting and also weird is and you know in, in Germany we also have Gamescom, which is the largest European video games convention. It's alone right. and um there are a quarter of a million people in normal years. It did not mm-hmm. happen this year. August was too early in Germany. Last year of course also not. But this is run by the um uh by the organization of all Ge- or most German video game companies. So of right. course they have also a team organizing and running uh, games coming. All mm-hmm. they can't do this uh, themselves, of course. But what I found much better is that the money, all the profits, mm-hmm. are kept within the gaming industry. So and that's why they have really great prizes, awards. Really, there is some money involved. But Essen. Mm-hmm. Since its first year in, I think 83, is run by a private, small private company. Right. Profits and the profits are millions, really millions. Is moving out of the gaming industry into the hands of the uh, of these organizers. And this I found really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need to get our own trade body. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, they, and, and there is even a, a trade body in, in Germany. It's called Spiele Verlag, E.V., or whatever, just the large companies in there. But they ne- probably never thought about this, and um, that's how it is done. And if I'm very critical of Merz Verlag, and I am, it doesn't mean that I'm not really admiring also how they did this, and I attended all journal, all spiel events, not of course not as a publisher, but as yes. I said, I lived when I was young near Essen, so it was mm-hmm. very easy to to see this and seeing this grow to the event it is since five or six yeah. years is amazing. And the um, CEO Dominique Metzler, she is a tough business. Yeah. Uh, Woman, but also she's also a very warm person.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's just, in my opinion, a little bit too much running this. And,
0: um, yeah, let's hope our our one listener, Roger, let's hope they're influential. <laughs> 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 okay, well, we've been talking for quite a while, so just to bring this back to a more positive note, I think, um, we all thought Essen went well this year, and we hope it does next year.
1: Yeah, yes. Yes. Yep. De- definitely flying to back if there's any way I can
0: I- I'm sure we can smugger you in Roger <laughs> but you can't bring a trolley in with you anymore
1: well that's okay if I'm demoing I get to use the car park directly under hall 2 so, <laughs> e- e- so you can run
0: your games now yeah that's what I was doing in, in 19 <laughs> <laughs> okay um, yeah, well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. Um, before you go, is there anything you'd like to to plug, to mention? New games that came out at Essen maybe you'd like to tell people about or upcoming releases where they can
3: hear about you, get hold of you? You can reach me at uh, Twitch at uh, Spielworks and um, you can drop me a mail at uli at spielworks.de. So that is mm-hmm. uli at spielworks.de. Currently, there is a game on pre-order, and you will find that info on my uh, on my website. And it's really it was my pleasure being uh, your guests. And, Thank you. Um, um, yeah, and I think it, it's also important what you said: not being too critical on the whole. Essen was a success. I'm glad that it happened, and I'm looking forward to to next year, more or less. More <laughs>
0: <laughs> too soon.
3: <laughs>
0: uh,
4: well you can find all our games and all the all the news of of our products from ddbgames.com and you can follow our Facebook and follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram also dawn <laughs> And uh, um well uh uh during this interview, uh, Ren peeked from the door that, okay, I, I guess I'm waited uh, at the other house. We are supposed to play some board games, <laughs> as we typically do. And I have to say that, that now we are not playing our games. We are playing somebody else's game for a chance. Yeah. <laughs> then I think after next week we will continue developing new games. Yes, there will be new products for for next ESSEN and I hope to see you guys and also all the listeners in next ESSEN.
0: Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I think that was an interesting conversation we had. Regards, Essen.
1: And and, until next month, we will continue to have more games than time. (laughs)
0: It's an unending problem.